So good to be here. Thank you, Father Mike. I, um, it's, it's great to be here at the season of Advent. Usually, uh, you know, Father Mike and I, we, we spent a couple of Advents together, and, and the house was very much an Advent kind of house. We, we never had any decorations, and I was shocked to see on my way here that the directory seems to be a bit more decorated than what I'm used to. So I know that's got to be Father Duga and his great influence on Father Mike. Now we have uh, the pillars are decorated. I'm pretty sure I saw a Christmas tree in the windows. And then I get a text message last night with uh, photos of Father Mike dressed in an elf costume and joining golf cart Santa. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I don't even know who he is anymore. Who is this guy? This is not the same priest and friend and brother that I knew just a couple months ago. Um, we had way too much fun uh, teasing him about being a Scrooge, and now I don't even know what to call him. I do love Christmas. I know many of you love Christmas as well. One of my uh, family traditions growing up is that we watch The Grinch every single year. Since it came out in 2000 or 2001, whatever year it was, since I was a young kid, we went to the movie theater, watched it as a whole family. And I see my whole family, like, I mean, I guess kind of. My mom has a bunch of brothers and sisters, but it was my mom and like a, a few of her brothers and sisters and their children. So I had some cousins there and we all loved it. And so then we went home and, uh, and we just talked about it, how much we love this, this film. And the next year, whenever it came out on DVD, we got the DVD and we watched it together as a family and we loved it. We loved The Grinch. And so then we decided we need to do this every single year. It's going to be a tradition. We're going to watch The Grinch every single year. And so then we started, it, it quickly morphed into what we call Grinch Night. And we have Grinch Night every year. And, and it, it kind of got out of control. I mean, this is, I remember back in, in high school, I would bring my girlfriend to this and and the and different family members would, would kind of come and we would get um, a, a cookie cake that would say Happy Grinch Night on it. And we would, you know, that was always a fun phone call, calling a great American cookie company. And they're like, what do you want on this cake? Say, Happy Grinch Night. Yes, that's right, the Grinch. And if you can, could you draw the face of the Grinch? That would be great, thanks. And so they would do that and we would cook a gumbo and just be a great tradition that we did every single year. And of course, we know all the words of the entire movie because we've seen it every year. And, and at some point at, towards when I got into like college, you know, me and my cousins, we're like, this is getting old. <laughs> like we, don't, we don't even like the Grinch anymore. Like we're like falling asleep in the movie. And, uh, but then my cousin started having children and now it's fun again. And so we're, we're watching the Grinch and, and we, we just had it actually um, a couple weeks ago. We did it the, the Friday after Thanksgiving. And I remember seeing there's a particular scene that, that stuck out to me this time, this year. Well, there's two scenes. They're related. So at the very beginning of the movie, those that have seen The Grinch, I'm talking about the, the live movie with, um, with Jim Carrey. There's a, a scene in the beginning of the movie where Jim Carrey, um, The Grinch, puts up a, uh, an Etch-A-Sketch up to his heart and it acts like an x-ray and you can see his heart beating. And it's this tiny little heart that's like scrumpled up and it's like this barely this little heart. And The Grinch says, yes, down a size and a half. And he says, and this time, I'll keep it off. And it's, it was, it's just that he's noticing his heart had shrunk. And he's excited about it. And as the story goes, throughout the movie, you know, the Grinch steals Christmas. I like to call Father Mike the Grinch, although I don't know about this year. 
he steals Christmas, and at the end of the film, what you see is this scene where he hears the Who singing, and he had stolen all the gifts, and they're still singing, and he's confused by this, and he doesn't understand. He's, he's thinking, well, what a failure. I stole Christmas, I did it, and they're still happy. And he starts to now ask the question, well, well, maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. And he says, maybe Christmas is about a little bit more. And suddenly his heart pounds and he like falls on the ground and he's all dramatic. You know how Jim Carrey gets. And, and he's, his heart's pounding. And this is it's this scene of like a whole minute of him like aching and shouting because his heart is pounding. And suddenly he realizes that his heart has enlarged. His heart grew. And the narrator says that the Who's from Whoville like to say that his heart grew three sizes that day. And so it's a great story. I think a great analogy for Father Mike. And perhaps his heart enlarged um, about Christmas <laughs> over the past, um, since I've left. But this idea of expanding the heart really struck me this year because this has been a big part of my prayer recently. Because isn't that what prayer is about? Prayer, in a sense, expands our heart. Prayer enlargens our heart. In fact, there's this wonderful quote from St. Augustine. I'll read you, actually, this is going to be a quote from Pope Benedict, who's quoting St. Augustine. It's kind of long, so bear with me. I'll, I'll paraphrase at the end for those with short attention spans. Pope Benedict says this, St. Augustine, in a homily on the first letter of John, describes very beautifully the intimate relationship between prayer and hope. St. Augustine defines prayer as an exercise of desire. Man was created for greatness, for God himself. He was created to be filled by God, but his heart is too small for the greatness to which it is destined. It must be stretched by delaying his gift, God strengthens our desire, and through desire, he enlarges our soul, and by expanding it, he increases our soul's capacity for receiving him, God. In other words, there's something about prayer that enlarges our heart our hearts are too small to fit God in it. God is infinite. God is big. But yet God created us destined to be in union with him. God desires to be in us, within us, to dwell through us. And that's true by virtue of our baptism. But even still, our hearts and our souls are just so small to truly experience the divine greatness of God. And so it's through prayer that our heart expands, it strengthens, it enlarges, it, it grows a couple sizes, like the Grinch, and therefore has a greater capacity to receive God. There's more room now to receive more of God. It reminds me of St. Uh, Teresa of Calcutta's quote, somebody asked her about heaven and what it was going to be like. And, you know, what about this person who's really holy? And what about this person who's kind of holy? Who's going to have a greater experience of heaven? And she kind of explained that, well, both of them are going to have full cups 
it's like a cup that's full, but one of them is, you know, a, a five ounce cup and the other is like a 32 ounce cup. And they're both full, but one has a greater capacity to receive God. One has a greater capacity to have God inside of them. And this is what St. Augustine's getting at. This is what prayer is able to do for us. It stretches our hearts, it strengthens us. But this stretching of our heart, unfortunately, doesn't feel good. Usually it doesn't feel good at all. Usually it's difficult. Many of you have heard my story before. In fact, my first encounter night here, I, I shared my, my kind of my conversion story. Um, it was an encounter night about encountering Jesus. And so I told the story about how I first encountered Jesus. Um, and, the, and the short version of that is I encountered Jesus for the first time in a powerful and tangible way when I was in high school. Or I, I graduated high school and I went to a retreat called Steubenville. And during adoration, I had a tangible experience of God. And this was an, an emotional experience. It was an experience that was um, undeniably from God and not from myself. And I was overwhelmed with God's love. And I left that experience changed. And I can still, even to this day, go back to that memory as a fountain of grace because it was such a life-changing moment for me. And many of us have had similar experiences where we encounter Jesus. And, and if we've had, if we've been so fortunate to have a moment where God became real to us, where, where our faith became just undeniably strong for us, if we've had an experience like that, probably what happened next is that we desired more. Suddenly we were filled with a desire to get more involved in our faith. We were filled with a desire to to learn more about Jesus and maybe even to talk about Jesus and to find friends who also knew Jesus. And, and, and that's the power of a conversion and it's the power of an encounter. And that's part of why that's essential here to the mission at Broussard is that we've, um, we've prayed into the, the, the importance of encountering Jesus. And that happened for me, particularly right when I graduated high school and then I went to college and in college, I was so blessed to be around a wonderful Christian community at Wisdom, uh, Our Lady of Wisdom, right there in UL's campus. And it was there that I really learned how to pray. I learned how to pray and I developed friendships with people who were also learning how to pray. And there was an adoration chapel there on campus. And, and I just remember spending some time in that chapel and, um, and I would go to daily mass and my friends would go to daily mass and, and my three years at, at UL were so formative be, uh, because I really learned how to pray. But you see, the thing is, prayer was easy. So easy, those three years. Because I was fresh off of an encounter with Jesus. I was fresh off of a, a renewed conversion. Now, I mean, it, it's important to say that I, I kind of always had a relationship with God, so I didn't have to have a big, crazy, like, change of life. But, you know, that encounter led to a really strong desire to pray. And prayer was filled with what we call spiritual consolation. Where I would go to that chapel, I didn't even really be, need to be instructed. It was just easy. I would just be filled with God's love and I just wanted to be in that chapel. Or I would see another student who was praying and they looked like they were really holy and I was inspired 
and I just wanted to pray like they were. And, and it was just a wonderful experience of God's love for three years, just constantly going to the chapel or to the church and, and experiencing that consolation. Well, that eventually led me to seminary to apply for the priesthood. That's a story in itself, but I, I eventually made it to seminary. And in my first two years, I, w- I was at St. Ben's in Covington, and prayer um, was still very easy. In fact, I was slightly scandalized when I saw other seminarians not desiring to be in the chapel as long as I was, or even some seminarians that really were barely praying at all. I didn't understand it. How could you be in seminary? Why would you even want to be a priest? What is, this is not making sense to me because for my experience, those first two years was that prayer was so filled with consolation and I experienced so much healing. Those two years were very healing for me. Just to, just to visit, we all need healing. Let's just, let's just be honest. In some area of our life, we've all been hurt by someone or something. We've all made mistakes. And if we haven't been hurt by someone or something, we've at least hurt ourselves by our own sin. And so we need healing. And, and, and those first two years of seminary were just filled with healing. And so I was just drawn to the chapel. And in the chapel, you know, there's the Eucharist. And, and I would pray and I would just receive healing. I knew that God was at work. God was doing something in my heart. Well, then I went to Mount St. Mary's. That was, uh, so I graduated St. Ben's. That was undergraduate for seminary. And then the next step is graduate school. So there's four more years. And the graduate school that I was sent to was Mount St. Mary's in Maryland. Great time. I loved Maryland. It, um, it had four seasons there, which was pretty cool. Um, it would actually be cold there right now instead of what we're feeling here. And I had a wonderful experience, but I had a new experience in prayer. Suddenly I would go to the chapel and you see through these experiences at UL and in seminary, I really developed a a great habit and commitment to prayer. I was praying um, every day for an hour. And in addition to that hour, I was praying a rosary every day. And in addition to that, I was doing the divine office. So uh, the liturgy of the hours. So for those who aren't aware of that, it's like praying the Psalms. So priests and and consecrated religious um, typically do that five times a day. So, I mean, golly, that's that's like... (laughs) A full day. You got no, no more time for anything else when you're doing all that. And so I developed these strong habits of prayer and I go to seminary in Maryland and suddenly prayer becomes dry. And I had had like a day or two here and there, like moments of dryness in prayer, but I had never had what I experienced at Mount St. Mary's ever in my life. A whole year of dryness. You go to the chapel and nothing. Just no feels, just no experience of God's love, just no, prayer's not easy. It's, it's a, I mean, you're constantly just wondering what time it is. And I was committed, I was committed to that hour, but that hour was hard. Oh, it was so dry. And it didn't go away, it got worse the second year. I'll go to spiritual direction. I'm learning wonderful things in class. Those four years were just the most amazing uh, years for my intellect. I, I learned so many beautiful things about our faith during those four years, and I'm so indebted to the Mount for that. But when I would go to the prayer, man. 
And so I wrestled with this dryness. It almost made me resentful and cynical. It almost, I almost got a little prideful, like, okay, well, now I'm mature because, you know, prayer, prayer's dry now. But, but I would get resentful and all four years, dry. I would have moments, you know, I'd have little small things here and there. You know, the Lord wasn't completely distant, but, but for the most part, as I'm praying, it just is not what it used to be. And then I go to, um, oh, and then I get ordained <laughs> just in time. Then I come here, which was such a blessing. It's so good to be back. This is such a, um, uh, such a gift of a place to be for your first assignment. And um, this place is exciting. They were, it was never dull here. It was just never dull. Uh, we were always just running a million miles an hour, new ideas, new strategies, brainstorming, creative projects, deadlines, due dates, all these things. And, um, and it was a thrill. Um, Father Mike and I developed a great friendship and, and that certainly was, was a, a great gift um, to be mentored by him just kind of figuring out how to be a priest. And uh, I was fortunate enough that we had a chapel in the rectory, which they still do. And, um, and that's, really, that's really important for the life of a priest, to have a, a, a chapel inside of their rectory. Not all priests are that fortunate, but, but many of them are. And so certainly he and I both were, were committed to prayer and, and we would pray in that chapel, sometimes at the same time, sometimes not. Um, but what I noticed is that uh, because this place was so thrilling, I was just really distracted. There was always something to be worried about. When I would go to, to pray, I mean, my first couple weeks or months was, golly, I was just homily prepping. I'm just thinking, stressing out, what in the world am I going to say? And so my prayer was exclusively about homilies. I mean, it was just really, and so I, I eventually noticed one day that I really wasn't even praying anymore. I'm just working in the chapel. But even beyond that, like, um, just busy. There's just so many th exciting things, good things. God was so definitely present and moving, and it was a beautiful three years, but uh, golly, like, I was just distracted. And I was, per I was committed, sometimes uh, imperfectly committed, but committed to praying. Um, but my mind wasn't always focused on the Eucharist as I wished it could have been because I was weak and I was distracted and you guys are awesome and I was spending time with you. And then I got transferred to St. Leo and um, I've been there now for about 10 months and it's been a blessing. I, I, I love St. Leo and, and it's also kind of like going back home. I grew up on that side of town. I get to be at, at Turlings, which is very special to me. And, um, and actually, I, I, I was a little less distracted because it, it's just not quite as a big of a parish as this place is. Um, prayer wasn't quite as dry, but I remember one day, I don't remember exactly when it was, sometime this summer, I remember sitting in my chapel and this crazy thought came to my head. It was, it was a frightening thought. I just to my... Before I even had the thought, I was already convincing myself in the thought. I was just convincing myself, well, if this isn't actually true, I still like my life. What a frightening thought. I suddenly 
had an ounce of doubt that started to creep into my mind as I'm praying before the Blessed Sacrament. And I started to rationalize out of the doubt, but rationalize with just a natural level of reason, not supernatural. Rationalize that, you know, but, but this is still good for my, like, interior peace and, you know, sense of well-being and happiness. And I noticed very quickly, oh my goodness, I don't know if I've really ever experienced doubt before. And that's really just, praise God, a a grace that I've been given. I know some people really wrestle with doubt. Um, I've just been so blessed my entire life. I've never really had to wrestle with doubt. But this was a very frightening thought to me. Oh man, what if suddenly doubt is creeping into my holy hour? And so what I'm really telling you is that as I grow in my spiritual life, I am experiencing things like dryness, distractions, and doubt. But yet, the Lord is so present in my life. And you can see the work he's doing in me and around me. And it's just so humbling and beautiful to see how real God is. But yet, when I go to meet him in prayer, I, I experience things like dryness, distractions, and doubt. And these have really become the three D's in my life. The three D's. So I want to spend some time just to equip you guys because chances are you can probably relate. You can probably relate to at least one of those three D's. Chances are that as you have prayed, either in this church or in that chapel or in your house or somewhere else, as you have prayed in the past, chances are you have experienced one of the three Ds. Dryness, distractions, and doubt. And, and we've all experienced these things in, in different degrees. Maybe you're going through one, of, one or all three of those things right now. But what I want to do tonight is reveal to you that adoration stretches the heart. And that this experience of dryness, distractions, and doubt is part of that stretching of the heart. And it enables us to receive more of God. So before we get too deep in it, we need to talk about why. What are the reasons why we experience these three Ds? Well, so if you are experiencing or have experienced dryness, distractions, or doubt, there is probably one of four reasons for that. The first reason might be because you have never yet encountered Jesus in a real way. You've never yet really had a moment in your life where God became real to you. It's possible, and there's plenty of people out there that have yet to encounter Jesus, that even some people that that go to church and have gone to church their whole life that have never had a moment, and it doesn't have to look exactly the same as other people in your life, but either this moment is maybe an emotional experience or maybe it's an intellectual clarity or maybe it's a strengthening of desire or maybe it's just this stable sense of peace or this profound sense of joy or it's something. All of us need at least one and hopefully more than one experience of God 
And if you haven't had that type of experience yet, then there's a good chance you're experiencing dryness, distractions, and doubt in prayer. The second reason that it might be happening is because of sin, which we all do. I'm guilty of it too. We all sin. We were born with a, an inclination towards sin. And we, we all choose different sins. And some of us succumb to different degrees of sin, but sin destroys us. We believe the lie that sin makes us happy. It destroys us. It doesn't make us happy. And as we sin, we turn our back away from God. Literally, we walk in the opposite direction from God. And if we get too far deep into sin, chances are we will start to experience dryness, distractions, and doubt. A third possible reason why you might experience one of the three Ds is because we're unfaithful to prayer. We say, oh, we want to pray. Oh, we need to go to Advent Mission, get inspired again so that we'll, we'll be right with God. And that's awesome. But what, we, what the Lord's inviting us to is a commitment to prayer, to a relationship that happens every day in between these wonderful experiences in ch- inside of this church. That there is some level of commitment and consistency in our conversation with God. Again, it doesn't have to look exactly like everyone else. It's going to be very personal, very unique, especially according to your state in life and your season in life. But if we are unfaithful to prayer, if we pray maybe once a week, or we pray only when we come into this church, which is once or twice a week, or we pray right before we go to bed, we're so exhausted and we don't even have anything left to give and we're just like in the middle of the Hail Mary falling asleep. If that's all we're giving God, then we are unfaithful to prayer. Five minutes is what you give to someone you don't really care about. Five minutes is what you give on the way to something. You give them a quick phone call and you try it. You hope that phone call hangs up real soon. And you're the whole time they're talking, you're thinking, how can we close this conversation? That's what you do with people that aren't a priority in your life. And that's so often what we do with God. But the Lord's inviting us to a consistency in prayer. And if we're inconsistent and unfaithful to that consistency, chances are we will probably experience dryness, distractions, and doubt when we pray. But let's say that you have encountered Jesus. Let's say that you are rooting sin out of your life. And for the most part, you've turned away from those major sins and you're taking forward progress. Let's say that you are committed to prayer. It may not be exactly what your friend who is a saint is doing, but at least you're committed and you're doing something on a regular basis and it's consistent. Then why would you experience dryness, distraction, and doubt? Chances are it's that God is forming you. God is molding you and shaping you. There is formation in this experience. In fact, for those that are turning away from sin and being faithful in prayer, these three Ds become a very special gift to us. A very special gift that strengthens and enlarges our heart. That enables us to persevere and allows for our heart to 
make more room for God. So what are we to do? What are we to do if we have the three Ds? Well, if you haven't encountered Jesus yet, what you have to do is simply ask the Lord to become real to you. Say, Lord, I just want you to be real to me. Just articulate to him what you desire. And the Lord will come through if you open your heart. It may not look exactly like your neighbor. It may be intellectual. It may be emotional. It may be a desire or or an interior sense of God's presence. But ask God. He'll do it. If you're sinning, go to confession. If you're afraid of confession, be not afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of, especially with these priests. If you're unfaithful to prayer, let's start, a, let's start a routine. A routine that's longer than five minutes. A routine that's meaningful. A routine that's at least 15 or 20 minutes. And if 15 to 20 minutes is too long for you, then let's do once a week 15 to 20 minutes. And then build up to every single day 15 to 20 minutes. Eventually, to the point you'll start to realize what God's calling to you. He might invite you to more time. But let's be committed. Let's be faithful. Let's put ourselves in a position to receive God. But if you're already doing that, what are we to do? These are a few uh, tips that I suggest. If you're experiencing doubt, St. Ignatius, when he would go to prayer, he had a great, um, great wisdom. You know, St. Ignatius is one of uh, Father Mike's favorites. Um, great, great saint that, that spoke great things about the spiritual life. He said this, I'll read you a little quote. He said, a step or two before the place where I am to contemplate or meditate, I stand for the space of an Our Father and with my consciousness raised on high, consider how the Lord my God looks upon me. Then I will make an act of reverence or humility. What he's saying is, Every single time that St. Ignatius would go to prayer, before he did anything, the very first 30 seconds, he said, for the the space of an Our Father, the very first thing he would do is consider how God is already looking at him. He would make an act of the intellect and an act of the will to call to mind and to choose to believe that God is already looking at him. And that's how he begins all of his prayer, all of his prayer times. If you're struggling with doubt, this is an important exercise. And honestly, it's an important exercise for all of us. It's a great thing that all of us can do no matter where we're at in our spiritual journey. To recognize when you go to that chapel or this church or in your living room or wherever it is, that we take a moment just to call to mind that God is already looking at you. This can help us with doubt. What about distractions? Time, place, and posture are pretty important. I already mentioned time. Five minutes is what we give to someone we don't care about. 15 to 20 minutes is is what we give to people we do care about. Or maybe even more than that if we're able to. So time is important, but not only amount of time, it's, it's important to be consistent in the time of day. So if you are a night owl and you pray best at night, then pray every night. If you're a morning person and you pray best in the morning, pray every morning. If neither of those are possible because your life is too crazy, then put it in your calendar for three in the afternoon 
or 9.30 in the morning, whatever it is, maybe even at your desk in your workplace. But to be consistent in the time can be very helpful. And to be consistent in the place is helpful as well. Sometimes God calls us to different places at different times in our life. Sometimes we, it's easy to pray in a church, and sometimes a church is very distracting. Sometimes the Adoration Chapel is perfect. Sometimes um, a beautiful scenery outside somewhere is really what we need. But whatever we choose, it's really helpful if we're able to choose the same place over and over again. And honestly, there's no better place than the Adoration Chapel. And posture, to consider your posture. We don't want to be too uncomfortable, but we also don't want to be too comfortable. Like we got, we got, you know, the few hours before bed to really relax and to wind down. You know, like the, we, there are spaces in our life for us to get too comfortable, and that's a good thing. Prayer is more than yoga. Prayer is about encountering God. And sometimes our posture communicates that we are actually in a conversation as opposed to just vegging on comfort and luxury. So we want to figure out what posture that is. For some people, that's kneeling. For some people, that's sitting. For some people, that's standing. Oddly enough, St. Ignatius would actually lay down, but I can tell you he wasn't laying down with the intention of falling asleep. But whatever it is, it's a posture that works for you and... Let's get a consistent posture. So time, place, and posture, we discover what's right for us and we find some consistency in that. This can help minimize distractions because what we're doing is that we're training our brain to understand that for this moment, we are praying and we're not worried about anything else. And these external realities prepare us for a good experience in prayer. And if you're experiencing dryness, it's important for us to persevere. It's important for us to tell the Lord that we still believe and we desire him more. And as we persevere through this dryness, as we can remain consistent to our commitment in prayer, our desire for God increases if we persevere. Our desire expands, our heart enlarges. And then there's those moments of consolation that start to come in at times that we can't control. And suddenly these consolations are larger than ever before because our heart is enlarged. We've been training for this moment. And so if you're experiencing dryness, it's so important to understand that we don't give up. We keep going, we keep praying. Adoration expands our heart. If you're experiencing doubt, perhaps this is a gift from the Lord of giving you true faith. St. Thomas Aquinas explains faith to be an elevation of, the, of knowledge to supernatural understanding. Elevation of knowledge to the supernatural realm. In other words, it, it, um, it, it perfects the intellect. That's faith. And so sometimes the gift of doubt enlarges our intellect for the supernatural reality of faith. This could be a gift if we give it to the Lord. Same thing with distractions. This could be expanding our will for love, for charity. 
St. Thomas Aquinas describes charity as the love of God and neighbor, but not just because you love God and you, not because God is awesome because a neighbor is, is easy to love, but that we love God and neighbor for their own sake. That's true charity, not for my sake, not because I benefit from God and neighbor, but we love God and we love our neighbor for their own sake. It's a choice of the will to desire the will of the other and this perfects the will. And so our gift of distractions can be expanding our will because as we're distracted, we're constantly making this, the decision to redirect our focus back to God. We're distracted and we choose to redirect our focus back to God. We're distracted and we choose to redirect our focus back to God. And this is charity. This is love. That we get all these new opportunities to love God, to choose him again. And if you're experiencing dryness, this could be expanding and stretching your desire. It's, it's helping you with the virtue of hope. St. Thomas Aquinas defines hope as a firm resolve to get to heaven, which assumes that heaven is possible but not automatic. And so we have to firmly commit to try to do our best to do what it takes to get there. That's what hope is all about. And in order to commit to that, we have to desire it. And sometimes that dryness in prayer expands our desire and increases our hope. So what I'm really saying is that these three Ds, dryness, distractions, and doubt, can be a gift from God in which we grow in faith, hope, and charity. Our heart expands. And if this is the case, if it's not because of the first three options, but rather it's the case that God is forming you and shaping you, there's no better place than in the Adoration Chapel in silence with our Lord on a committed basis for us to have our hearts expanded, for us to step forward into what we call spiritual maturity, that we don't just become excited disciples, we become committed disciples. And we start to learn what true faith, hope, and love is all about.